Welcome to Unfiltered with Bobby and Luke. I am your co-host and co-creator, Bobby Stutzman. And I'm Luke Mohat. It is Tuesday, December 1st. And Luke, we've only got 24 days until Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Santa (laughs) is on his way, as is the end of 2020. Absolutely. 24 more days till Christmas. Uh, the year's coming to an end last month of the fourth quarter for those business minds out there. That's right. Uh, to- That's right. Topics to d- that we're going to discuss today. Uh, and I'm glad we're getting into technology. My passion, my heart is, is all tech. And uh, we're going to be discussing the percentage acquisition of TikTok uh, from Oracle and Walmart and what it means for the platform, what changes they plan on bringing, and most importantly, what those companies plan on doing with all that data. In addition, we'll be giving our listeners, obviously COVID is rampant. It's on fire across this country. We got people, uh, estimated 50 million people between automobile commuting and flying for Thanksgiving week coming back and the anticipation of the increase in COVID uh, infections, hospitalizations, and obviously deaths. Uh, And then kind of discuss a little bit about Mr. Biden's all female communications team. Yeah. Great, great team he's put together there. And we'll we'll get into, uh, I just read, uh, an article about who might be the first uh, sacrifice to the confirmation gods. <laughs> the way the the way these senators talk about themselves, it's just disgusting. But we'll 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 get we'll go there. <laughs> yeah, you, you know the you know the person that that we're going to be discussing that everybody on the GOP side has an issue with. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of comical. It's oh, sad it's but comical. At its- that they're oh utilizing God. Twitter after four yeah. years of Trump yeah. tweeting and retweeting just yeah. hateful shit. Uh-huh. They've got an issue with her Twitter feed. So yeah. we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> we're going to discuss the uh, the first woman, uh, Secretary of Treasury, which, again, Biden pledged from the very beginning that his his cabinet and people in the positions we're going to look like America, very diverse, obviously right. uh, female. He was he was pushing female very hard, you know, the diversity backgrounds. And it's just awesome just to see the these women of power finally getting getting their due. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg famously w- once was asked how, how many women on the Supreme Court would be the right number. And she said nine. Right. And the reporter kind of looked befuddled and she said, well, we've had nine old white guys on the court for ages. <laughs> and so what, 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 why not have nine women? And I said, oh, God, just another reason why I love that woman. <laughs> right. Right. And we're going to continue. We're going to discuss how Trump continues to kneecap the Biden administration and do as much damage as possible before uh, January 20th. Yeah. Census BS, 
you know, gerrymandering and, and all that obviously has been in play for, for, for decades, but now the Trump administration, you know, is trying to basically, if, if you're undocumented, not count you in the census, and then we're going to discuss bad business. There's a lot of it out there, but specifically we're going to talk about Tyson foods and their management team, as well as, uh, Purdue Pharma and uh, OxyContin specifically. Correct. And then the high note, uh, Luke, where, where do we want to end on the high note? What's your thoughts there? Oh, I think I've got a couple of fun things. I'll pull out of uh, Santa's bag of fun. There we go. <laughs> there we go. All right. We'll get after it. All right. Like I, I, I was in a rock and roll kind of mood this morning as we close in on the end of uh, 2020 and uh, hopefully uh, brighter times ahead. And that's and we're you know I, look I, I understand that we've been talking about COVID on every episode and I just think that that's because it would be neglectful to not. So we'll get into that in a minute. But I. You know, was reading a couple of articles and was just kind of scratching my head. And then it dawned upon me that I host a podcast with the guy who probably could really explain this stuff in a way that per, per, perhaps myself, a technologically impaired individual, <laughs> uh, might understand. So why, oh, why? Mr. Stutzman, does Walmart want a stake in TikTok? Okay, so as everybody knows, I personally do not have a TikTok account, but I understand uh, the business aspect, the scale, the scope, the number of users, all the content that's created, and most importantly, the data that is currently being, being uh, consumed at, you know, I would imagine petabytes, uh, you know, an hour globally. So, you know, when we talk about data mining, you know, there's been some Netflix specials that kind of dig into this really high level um, from social media platforms. And, and, you know, the way that we actually use our smartphone today really is all encompassing from business application, personal application, you know, text messages, social platforms, basically it's an all-in-one data source. And, and as you guys may or may not understand, user data on a global scale is worth more to companies, you know, from, from an equity or a financial standpoint than the, I would say the global oil industry and probably the the you know if you throw gold in there as a commodity combined 
So when it comes to user data, there is nothing more important. Uh, we refer back to kind of, you know, COVID. Had we acted as other countries with, you know, using masks when we're out of our house and, you know, these countries were utilizing people's data anonymously to help control the spread of COVID. So, you know, you look at, you know, Europe, you know, the telcos there were, were obviously gathering user data, geolocation data, and it was gathered anonymously. So say um, Orange, tel uh, Orange Telecom, which is big in Europe, you know, they, they would grab your geolocation data, but they didn't know who it was, right? So Luke could have been in London and, and been on vacation, going from this location to that location. And on the, on the back end, you know, safe, you know, government viewing purposes, it would just say user one, two, three, X, five. They had no idea it was Luke Mohat. They didn't even know his number, but they were using this data to kind of track and contact and trace, you know, and all that now. And that has worked out very well. Now, stateside, our solution that we have and currently have, we could basically contact trace all mobile users, whether they're on a smartphone or they're on a laptop or a tablet from coast to coast. The problem is, is that there's a lot of rules and regs when it comes to user data. So right. in the case of, of, of data mining, you know, non-COVID related, going yeah. back to TikTok, right? If you think of TikTok as basically a, a data collecting platform, right? All right. these users, they're creating all these videos, all this content, and people are constantly moving, right? That data is, is, is worth, tr you know, potentially trillions of dollars. And so when it came to the United States and Donald Trump getting involved, right, this was, a, you know, a thing against China. Well, it's a Chinese company, you know, BitDance is, is a Chinese company. It's got various owners, but at the end of the day, the, the entity itself sits over in China. And so when Trump got involved, he was like, well, you know, China is just gathering all the data on the United States and, you know, all this user data they're collecting, you know, free of charge and, you know, whatnot. And then he was like, well, you know, we want, you know, them in order for TikTok to be in the United States, it's got to be owned by a U.S. company. Right. So there was a bidding war, you know, uh, Trump drove up that price. Initially, Microsoft got involved. Amazon was in conversation. And at the end of the day, we've got two companies now that are acquiring and doing further uh, reading, Luke. It's just not 20% of the U.S. business. It's 20% of the whole pie. So hmm. how that's broken down, we don't know yet. We don't know how BitDance is going to say, okay, 20%. Um, is it going to be select users in various countries? That we don't know. But at the end of the day, all that data, um, Oracle, you know, obviously they've got a lot of, a lot of solutions. Um, they got a lot, a lot of software as a service or SaaS, uh, but their data centers is kind of their play, right? So they've got data centers all over the globe. And that's kind of how Oracle says, well, we're going to basically host TikTok on or 
within Oracle data centers to keep it safe and secure. But at the end of the day, what's most important to Oracle is that data. And right. so all the data that they're going to collect, they're going to be able to monetize. They're going to be able to do all kinds of stuff with that data. And then Walmart's play, um, which kind of gives you an insight on how TikTok may change somewhat, is that for Walmart and their seven and a half, I think, percent ownership is going to be more of an e-commerce payment processing on the global scale, not just here in the U.S. So, does that mean that TikTok, if we take a you know a screenshot of the TikTok home screen today, will it look different in in say twelve to fourteen months? I think that will be the case. Um, I think there's going to be opportunities where you're going to be able to pay for all kinds of stuff through the TikTok app. And really kind of customize that experience to kind of be all inclusive where you're not just making videos, but, um, you know, you can pay for stuff at, at various retailers or online through various, you know, walmart.com or whatever that ends up being. But, you know, like Oracle, the data for Walmart obviously is helps them out on the e-commerce side, but also helps them on geolocation. You know what? Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about the, you know, the, the, and this is, I guess the, where my, my head starts to spin is like, what do they do? Like, you know, to, to, for the, for the common person like myself, what does it mean to me that they are collecting all this data about me? Even if it's anonymous, I'm person X, Y, Z, whatever, but they're collecting all this data on me. Right. What does most of it is not anonymous. So Ah. even let's, let's really, let's really make this simple. Say you Mm -hmm. sit down at a Starbucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you log on to their Wi-Fi. Right. right. They're yeah. not providing free Wi-Fi out of the goodness of their heart. And okay. so some of these solutions we provide to our clients, right? A lot of our clients are fast food franchisees. We're providing their internet. We're providing SD-WAN, managed Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. So managed Wi-Fi, what I can find out from is say Luke and I sit down, I fly out to Hollywood. We sit down in a Starbucks from us logging in to their free quote free Wi-Fi, I will know what you're searching, how long you've been searching, um, the different um, devices you're using, how long you've been connected. And I mean, there is a lot of data sets, right? So when it comes to data collection, it really depends on how far down the rabbit hole companies get with the data sets themselves. So basically it's really customized. So when we set up managed Wi-Fi for a Starbucks um, brand or a chain, maybe there's a, you know, Starbucks really doesn't franchise their locations, but Dunkin' right, Donuts right. does. So okay. say, say Luke and I have got 50 Dunkin' Donut locations. So all spread throughout the United States. Everybody logging in, and it could be through the uh, through the drive-through, right? So yeah. most people keep their Wi-Fi on, and this goes with ISPs as well. But you know, we got people in the drive-through logging onto our network. 
We've got people sitting down in our restaurants, logging on to our, our free Wi-Fi network. Well, we're providing that because we want to know as much about our customers as humanly possible. I know Luke comes in at Tuesdays at 937 specifically. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that he's there for, you know, two hours. He averages two hours of log time. And most of the time he's logging on to Facebook and he's logging on to YouTube. and, And then you throw in the browser cookies that we're also collecting data from. So as most of you guys know, when you go to Facebook and you've just been browsing, say you've been browsing Victoria's Secret, Luke, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all these ads pop up into Facebook from Victoria's Secret, which has never happened before. It's because they're they're being able to tag traffic using, you know, utilizing browser cookies. Or say you've had a conversation with your partner, Luke, about something specific. It's a specific brand of jeans that you guys have been wanting to buy or going to buy. And all of a sudden those genes pop up into Facebook ads or Instagram ads or, um, um, you know, whatever ads yeah. on some site, you know, right. it could be yahoo.com. And all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, stuff for the buckle popping right. up ads. <laughs> well, that's because, you know, back in the day, when when apps first started becoming really utilized, the permissions you would give an app was all that it could obtain, right? If you didn't want mm-hmm. it to access your phone's hard drive or your camera or your mic, it didn't have that access. Well, now it doesn't need your permission. And they get around that with the terms of service for each application. So the data mining really starts when you activate the phone, whether it's an iPhone, whether it's an Android based phone, the data mining really starts at that point. And then the more apps you add to your phone, the more data you're allowing to be provided, because as soon as you say it's okay to install, uh, say WhatsApp, right? Well, yeah. if you read the terms of service, they basically, <laughs> you're giving them permission to scan your text messages, listen to your voicemails, and and basically scan you know your browser you know google doesn't pay samsung four billion annually to have chrome on the home screen of every android phone out of the goodness of their heart so the data mining starts at phone activation and with terms of service the way they're structured now the end user in in exchange for access to the facebook platform or to TikTok or to whatever application you're using, you're essentially giving them permission to access all of the data on your phone, your hard drive, your text messages, you know, all that. So, you know, the data for, you know, for Oracle is, 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 is basically worth every penny that they're going to invest in acquiring that 13 and a half percent. So basically if I want to own Anything other than a good old fashioned little flippy dippy phone. If I want to own a smartphone, this is just part of the deal. It's It's been part of the deal for years. Uh, People haven't realized it, right? So people started kind of, you know, the lights started coming on a few years ago with Cambridge Analytica, right? You know, the whole Facebook thing, selling personal data when they were telling people they weren't. 
But Cambridge Analytica, over their years of being in business, actually, by using user data, was able to, to basically depict an outcome of an election in several yeah. countries. That's mm. how powerful your data is. Yeah. Is they yeah. were able to get down and like swing voters, right? So swing mm-hmm. voters are are the the most sought after group because really if you're a Democrat, you know, a Democrat or Republican, that's known. If yeah. you're an independent or or unknown, those mm-hmm. are the target demographics that you want. So if there's an election in say Mexico City, um, mm-hmm. we could with basically using the Facebook data that they were providing Cambridge Analytica in real time know where all those swing potential swing voters are and start sending them ads you know if 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 i'm paying cambridge you know i'm in a, i'm going i'm running for office i'm paying cambridge analytica to help win me the election so basically mm-hmm. they're going to disparage your your competition and they they did that with for years utilizing facebook data so that's where yeah. I think it's yeah. going to come to head in 2021. Article 230, which gives these social platforms, you know, really TikTok isn't going to be any different, but, you know, there's going to be a lot more oversight. And we may see government saying, hey, Facebook, you own Instagram, you bought it fair and square, but it needs to be a separate standalone platform because right now it's completely integrated. Hey, WhatsApp. Right all those features, although it's encryption and all that, it needs to be a standalone entity. And so it's really going to be interesting to see where all this goes. But at the end of the day, it's all about your data. Always yeah. has been. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, not to, not to bring it back to politics, but, you know, we were just talking <laughs> about Cambridge, uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. And, you know, and we're, we're going to get into some hypocrisy on this episode, but... You know, the the Republicans, part of their cover right now for allowing Trump to get away with this jackassery is saying, oh, well, you, you know, you Democrats spent all four years of his presidency saying that, you know, he was illegitimate because he had help uh, from outside sources. And whether he knowingly or unknowingly you know, participated in it. We we know for a fact, if you believe our uh, U.S. intelligence uh, apparatus, that the Russians and others were indeed using this exact thing, the data, right. in right. order to specifically focus on people that were susceptible to uh, basically false advertising. Or, or, you know, particularly susceptible to hearing about Hillary's damn emails, you know, so it it is it is frightful uh, that they were able to do that four years ago with such pinpoint accuracy. But then I guess my question is for the the Nate Silvers of the world, the, the pollsters, you know, if we are able to get so much data on such a micro level, you know, how in the world for the now the second presidential election in a row, you know, the polling was just completely off. And I, I just wonder That's if a it's going answer, to answer Luke. Those yeah, go ahead. That those that were paying 
for the correct data, right? It's all about the mm -hmm. data sets. Mm -hmm. So if, if I'm leaving my house, I mean, we can get so specific and we've put, you know, solutions together for some of our clients. Say, say you're driving to that Starbucks, yeah. but there is that Dunkin' Donuts right across the street. Mm -hmm. Through push notification, we know that Luke is going to Starbucks via geolocation data, and we can send you a yeah. push notification to give you a free drink from, from our Dunkin' Donuts. And yeah. so really, the, the media, right, the media outlets didn't have the data, but right. those that are part of the campaign that are consulting the campaign, right? So this Cambridge right. Analytica were, was a quote-unquote consultant, Right. If they've got the right data, utilizing the right data sets, Fox News could be saying that Biden was up 6% in Arizona or double digits in Arizona. But the, but the company with the right data sets knew on a day-to-day -day basis that Biden may have only been up 2%. Right. So right. those that hold the right data always has the answers. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fascinating to me that, you know, in this day and age, uh, you know, we're, we're still doing a certain amount of polling by literally cold calling people when, yeah. uh, you know, everything, you know, data wise is being passed through uh, the smartphone. You know, absolutely. Um, and, and God, don't I know it, you know, here in, you know, <laughs> you just mentioned that thing about the free coffee from Duncan. So, you know, obviously living in Los Angeles, traffic is a permanent part of your life. And so finding ways to get around that traffic is, you know, or get through that traffic as easily as possible is using these traffic apps, uh, ways uh, being, right. you know, the, the, pretty common, most popular one. When I first moved here to Los Angeles five years ago, the first thing my coworker said to me was download the, the Waze app. <laughs> Didn't do it, make it part of your life. Um, and wouldn't you know it, every time I drive by, gosh, it's always like a fast food thing. You know, if I drive by like an Arby's, boom, there's an ad on my phone, you know, in, 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 in the app saying, you know, you know, when it, you know, a two for one sandwich sound good today or something like that. Absolutely. And, and boom, there's an Arby's right there uh, at the corner. I just happened to be stopped at a red light, <laughs> you know, do you know who owns ways? I do not Google. <laughs> of course, of course they do. Right. Well, of right. course they do. Of now, course at the end do. of the day, I That's mean, I could really start to scare the shit out of the people. But if <laughs> if Google wanted to, they can yeah. direct. Right. So it's everything's always on the fastest. You know, you kind of set your early parameters of the fastest way to get to from A to B, um, the easiest way or whatever. But at the end of the day, Google with with you just saying hey google take me to whatever location yeah it's all going to be based on real-time data right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's you know back in the day when google maps first started it was simply the cars driving around taking you know the video and and right. mapping yeah. out basically as many streets as humanly possible but now right. with satellite that's not even needed Right. Yeah. They don't need to yeah. spend 
millions of dollars every year paying people to drive around because now, I mean, a lot of that stuff is all satellite, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, Google uh, Waze became very popular. Google paid a billion dollars for it. Of course and it's, you know, now part of their platform. And again, that's an extension of the overall data collection. So, yeah. you know, Luke yeah. on my phone right now, I've got a, I've got a pixel four, Google phone mm-hmm. um, and the apps I've got on it, Facebook, Twitter, I've got Instagram, Pinterest, and obviously various Google apps like Google mm-hmm. home for my, for my nest audio, Gmail, mm-hmm. all of that data is all being compiled into various repositories. And so Google knows how often I check my emails and they may be scanning that email. And so anybody, so what was very interesting is, is uh, before the election or actually it started this summer when every state was coming out with their basically contact and trace app. And then you saw, you know, a lot of people that didn't understand that, you know, regardless of you install the app or not, a lot of that data is already being collected because you've already given that permission. So everybody was copy and pasting on Facebook and Twitter. I do not give, you know, permission to, to, you know, scan my phone. It's already happening, people. It's been happening. And, you know, in the content, you know, this is another thing people need to understand is that when people post photos or videos to Facebook, you know, you don't own that content anymore. That content, mm-hmm. as soon as you upload that picture of your cat or yep. your your Sunday dinner is now Facebook's property and it's replicated across multiple servers across the United States. Mm-hmm. Taking a step further, Luke, I could take your Facebook profile and just utilizing uh, just maybe, you know, some AI algorithms I could start posting. I would, you know, I could use AI to understand Luke Mohat within a matter of seconds. And all of a sudden it it could start posting as Luke Mohat. You would never have to post again. I mean, that's, that's how much and how important data is. And I've noticed a lot of these data centers that are going up through the Midwest, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a, there's Mm -hmm. a reason for that. Data mm-hmm. centers started on the coast, east and west coast, and they're saturated. Yeah. Well, in order to reduce the latency to users all throughout the Midwest, companies like Facebook and Google need to install data centers that are more geo-located geo to the vast majority of their Midwest users. Mm-hmm. So my, my take is all the farmers in Nebraska all the farmers in Iowa and throughout the Midwest, those of you that have been taking less than what your, what your acres are worth, you are leaving a shit ton of money on the table because at the end of the day, you guys hold the power. So that, so the land and outside of Omaha that Google purchased was a fraction of the cost that they were willing to pay. Yeah. Again, Jeez. data is king, period. Right, right. 
Well, I guess on that note, we should segue to some uh, some some data that uh, you know. There's some some good news in here, but yes. there's some scary news along the way. So, uh, over the weekend, the director of Operation Warp Speed, this of uh, Mr. Monsef Slawi said that he feels that there will be enough uh, vaccines available uh, by sometime in late spring, early summer, so May, June, uh, for the United States to reach that 70% threshold, therefore basically giving us uh, herd immunity and uh, allowing life to crawl back to normal. But, in the meantime, we are now experiencing at least, oh gosh, we're, we're experiencing about one death per minute yep. from the disease right now. And, you know, Americans just, we've kind of talked about this before, Americans just don't like to listen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had millions of people on the road for Thanksgiving and we are in their incubation period now. So we are days away from what Fauci is is, has coined a, a surge on top of a surge. You know, hospitals, even the biggest of hospitals, I was just reading in the Times, where else? That even hospitals in uh, large uh, metropolitan areas are starting to run out of room. And that's just the hospital, not the ICU wing. Right. Those are already full. I'm just talking about hospital beds and there's a shortage all across, all across COVID overload. U.S. hospitals are running out of beds for patients. Yep. And so what that means is not just running out of bed for COVID patients, but running out of bed for uh, if you have any other ailment or any other pre-existing condition that, you know, you require a hospital stay for, you might not they might not have room for you at the hospital closest to your home and you might end up getting shipped somewhere else uh, where there is a bed available. So, you know, with like, I get it. COVID fatigue is a real thing. I absolutely understand it. And with the, the, and we're going to dive into the vaccine here and the distribution in just a minute, but you know, between now and then, you know, we, we should not be, you know, lightening up and saying, ah, you know, the vaccine's around the corner. Let's just, you know, get back to normal. We should be tightening back down. Am, am I in? Yes. 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 And in one of our earlier podcasts, we discussed, and, you know, we still see people stating that COVID is no different than the flu and the right. numbers and the data. That is just a stupid comment that COVID is the same as the flu. So based on CDC data, 0.1% of people that get the flu die from the flu. Right. In order to get to the 4% that we're currently trending, it's just, and it's going to go up because infection rates and hospitalizations are going way up. Right. So we could be trending at some point 6 to 7%. But in mm -hmm. order to get to the 4 that we're currently trending and have been trending at, you got to take 0 0.10 times 40 to get to 4%, which means as we sit here recording today, COVID is currently 40 times more lethal than the flu. 
So I, I cannot get it, make it clear enough. It's simple math, but yet the Lincoln journal star posted on Facebook yesterday that, you know, to that, you know, to that effect, hospitalizations are going up, it's out of control. And then there was just a slew of people that were being like, well, you're just being over dramatic. It's no different than the flu. And unfortunately, no. No. that that headline has been trending since early on in this pandemic because, you know, the government and the White House and the task force didn't did not correct people loud enough. Right. And unfortunately, right. the surge on the surge, Luke, it's going to be a fucking bloodbath. They're now predicting yeah. by Christmas, we could yeah. easily see thirty seven hundred plus deaths per day. Yeah. You know, we, we were warned throughout, uh, you know, the summer and the fall that, I mean, I cannot, I mean, there is not a medical professional that went on the record, you know, without saying we are in for the darkest winter in American history. And we just carried on (laughs) and here we are and we are, you know, again, I think I used the analogy in this pod before that if, you know, ISIS had invaded America and was killing thousands of Americans every day, you know, we'd, we'd probably be taking some pretty aggressive measures to make sure that, uh, you know, we kept ourselves and our families and our loved ones safe. Right. And if we were told that if you just put this piece of cloth over your face, uh, you're 90% less likely to get shot by somebody from ISIS. I am pretty comfortable in my, my assertion that people would be wearing that piece of cloth over their face. Right. And so all of the things we've been preaching about on this and Fauci and everyone stay in place masks, distancing, washing your hands, you know, staying at home when you can, being respectful of others when you are out in public at the grocery store. The number of times I have been at the grocery store and people just come right up on you, you know, it's, it's like, come on, come on, people, let's go. Cause you want to talk about the vaccine. You want to talk about, Oh, well, it's right around the corner. I heard that the first doses will be, you know, ready before the end of the year. Correct. And those doses are going to go to doctors and nurses and the elderly. They're going to prioritize the elderly that are living in uh, senior care facilities because they are at the highest of the high of the risks. Right. So that that, you know, that that group, that cohort alone is going to take because remember, folks, this is a two dose vaccine, Moderna, Pfizer, two dose vaccine. So if they say there's going to be 40 million uh, doses ready by uh, the last week in December, cut that in half. Okay. Anytime you hear a number of doses, cut it in half. So that means about 20 million people will have access to the vaccine by the end of, uh, by the end of December. All right. So that brings us then into January where perhaps we could see anywhere from 50 to 75 uh, million more doses. Well, folks, there's 87 million 
uh, people that would be deemed essential workers here in the United States. And an essential worker is anybody who cannot do their job from home, okay? These are the people that are keeping the economy working, the people that are going to uh, the, the meat processing plants, you know, the people that are going, that are keeping the food supply chain, the truck drivers uh, going, you know? And then of course, Every time you go to that grocery store, that very, very nice and very, very brave cashier that's standing there checking out your, your groceries, that person is an essential worker. And that doesn't even begin to start to touch on the people, the other people that work in healthcare, like the janitors and um, the uh, people that work in uh, the, the, the like uh, grocery uh, store the, stockers, every, every, yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and cause we're going to talk about it in a minute, teachers. Yes. Teachers. Everybody yes. wants to keep the schools open to get the economy going again. Teachers. So there's like eight. So that's 87 million Americans fall into that category. Okay. Yeah. And then if you start talking about people that have uh, pre-existing conditions, well, there's somewhere around 100 million Americans that have pre-existing conditions. That's why whenever we talk about uh, the Republicans trying to take down the ACA, we're always talking about the millions and millions of people that would be kicked off of their insurance, possibly. That's around 100 million people. We also have around 53 million uh, Americans that fall into the 65 years or older age category. Okay, so that brings us if, 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 if we are somehow able to get all of those people vaccinated, that brings us all the way into the end of the first quarter. Okay, so that's that's January, February, March. So maybe, maybe by April, people like myself who um, can do the majority of my job from home. I'm under 65 years old and uh, don't have an extraordinary pre-existing condition. That's around when I can expect to possibly get access to the vaccine. You know, and now, of course, things can change. There might be more doses. Things might come out faster. We don't know. But I think it is if you're a healthy American sitting out there who's been able to work from home for the majority of this crisis, you should be thinking that it's probably going to be spring before you have access to a vaccine. So yeah. keep that in mind the next time. I would time. say the earliest, right? Yeah. I mean, plus yeah. we got to factor in, you know, they're saying 42 to 45% of people are not going to get vaccinated. We're going to continue the process of spreading we don't know, regardless of who gets the vaccine first, we don't know how long the immunity lasts. Um, and then I was just reading, Luke, about, you know, that that 4,000 4, deaths a day within the next three, four weeks. You know, if you put that in perspective, you know, the the aftermath and the carnage of 9-11. That is there right. There was 2,977 people killed. That's right. On that day. That's and right. we're, we're, you know, we're looking at a thousand more right. per day yes. than, you know, basically every day will be a nine 11, a nine 11 plus right. every single day. Yes. And it just, it, you know, and, and here is the other bone chilling fact about this disease. Uh, I source this to my good friend, 
Well, he would be if we ever get to meet Michael Barbaro, the host of The <laughs> Daily. Um, they were going through, uh, he was talking to one of the Times uh, chief um, uh, science correspondents. And guess what, guys? We don't know if you get the vaccine, but you are symptomatic or asymptomatic, rather, if you could potentially still spread the disease. We know that you yourself won't get sick. You yourself will not. The, the studies have shown, you know, but that's it. They've just, the study has only been looking at, does it prevent people from getting sick, fully getting sick, okay? Um, so there's a possibility that even once you're vaccinated, you could potentially get uh, the, the, the coronavirus but you won't get full-blown COVID-19, but you could pass the virus along still. That is still up for, up for research. And we will only know that data once people start getting vaccinated. So, you know, that, that even with, so what they're saying, what the, the message here is, even with vaccines, all of these precautions, hand washing, social distancing, wearing a mask must stay in place for the foreseeable future. I don't see myself going anywhere without a mask on until maybe 2022. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, especially with the, you know, we need, you know, they say 70 to 80% of people willing to take the vaccine and right. we're far from that based on, you know, preliminary discussions, you know, now is that data relative to factual, you know, you know, the outcome, you know, we'll find out, but just right. based on, you know, even Fox news, uh, CN, you know, CNN, MSNBC, you know, 42 to 45% refusal of the vaccine. And we've always had people, you yeah. know, anti-vaxxers, you know, they, oh, yeah. they believe the wrong data and, you know, that's, that's their choice. But, you know, with, with the pandemic, you know, in order to, you know, ensure you're, you're safe and your family's safe, you know, it's going to require taking the vaccine. So hopefully yeah, have- we can get that number up to closer to that 70 to 80 percent range yeah and dr slowey is you know just assuming you know when he says that we will have like he is just saying that we will we should have enough vaccines for 70 to 80 percent of americans to be vaccinated by uh may or june right what you can like you just hit the nail on the head what he cannot guarantee is that 70 to 80 million or 70 to 80 percent of americans will willingly voluntarily right. take the vaccine and god don't you know that we're going to start seeing the legal uh the legal battles because i have no doubt that for instance school districts are going to start requiring children to be vaccinated um you know for this coronavirus before they uh before they can uh send their child to school mm-hmm. and you know here in los angeles or here in uh, the LAUSD, we already have a policy that children have to be vaccinated uh if they are going to be enrolled in a public school well 
what does that do? That creates safe harbor for these students at some of these more, I hate to say it, but more very liberal private schools that may be a little more laxed on their vaccine uh, regulations. And so what we've seen, what we've seen already uh, during coronavirus is a basically uh, between let's see, New York City and Los Angeles. So the two biggest school districts in the country, we've seen about 42,000 fewer enrollments for this school year than the previous school year. Wow. So either those kids are being homeschooled, which God willing, I hope they are, and they're on a great, you know, homeschool platform, you know, fantastic, or they're going to private schools that are still open during the pandemic, defying the government uh, regulations. Uh, because remember, we've been talking about all these government regulations, you know, the, the restaurants have to shut down and, you know, you, you know, we have a 10 PM curfew and whatnot. They're not necessarily being enforced that strictly, you know, correct. We're, we're, right. we're still unfortunately seeing you know, large, well, and what's happening on the alternative is, okay, I can't go to restaurants or bars or whatnot. So I'm going to have 40 people over to my house. And we're still seeing evidence of that. Just the other day, a very large, and I haven't heard this term since the early 2000s, a very large rave with thousands of people in this warehouse in uh, South LA was busted. And, yeah, yeah. Not a mask to be seen in totally enclosed warehouse environment, you know, it just boggles the mind that, you know, we are still seeing this just fuck it kind of attitude to right. disease. And I fear now with all this talk about the vaccine and God, guys, it is very good news. I am very excited. And we will at one point talk about the science that allowed us to get this vaccine this fast because it is, it is talk about techno technological advancements. It's really, Absolutely. Cool. really cool. And so I'm super excited that the vaccine's on its way, but come on people, we've got to, we've got to hang on, you know, we got to hang on a, a while longer so we can get to the other side of this thing. You know, Luke, if Vietnam can go 89 days, they went 89 yep. days before a person-to-person -person, um, COVID case. Yep. Um, you know, they've controlled the spread. Obviously, what, what they and other countries have done, we have done a very, very poor job at having a national plan, making masks required. You know, but on the flip side of that, it's just not the people, you know, these businesses also need mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. have accountability and they need to also understand that when people come into your restaurant or yep. to your gas station and they're not wearing a mask, yeah, you know, that brand, whether it's come and go Casey's, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever they're liable. If, if it can be proven that that cases were spread from person to person at, at the local gas station, that brand is and will be held accountable and liable. And, you know, everybody kind of is like hands off, like they don't want to piss off the customers. 
but yeah, but they need to be held accountable from from the city and the state governments just as much as the people. Yeah, I tell you what, I was at uh, the local grocery store uh, grabbing a few things the other day, and uh, and I have not seen this. I, I thank God this is the first I've experienced this. But there was somebody in the store shopping and they did not have a mask on. And several, several other shoppers were approaching employees and approaching uh, the security guard at the front of the store and whatnot. And they were basically saying that all we can do is ask. We can't, you know, we can ask them to put a mask on, but if yeah, they tell us no, that's not we, true. we, you know, and so they were, they were refused, you know, the, those employees, and I won't say what, you know, grocery <laughs> store it was, uh, but it's a national brand chain, whatnot. And they just were not because they don't want to get into it. Right. right. They don't, they don't, they don't want to, you know, I, I just, it, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, of course I, I, you know, take most umbrage with the person himself that didn't have on a mask. Like, are you kidding me guy? And it wasn't like he was in there just grabbing a couple of things. He had a cart full of groceries. Okay. Right. So he'd been there for a minute, but I couldn't <laughs> believe it that not even the general manager of the store would go over to the guy and say, look, you gotta either put on a mask or you need to leave. Yep. You know, I, I, I just, I, that one was a real head scratcher, but you know, especially because, you know, and I just wanted to throw this out here. I do not understand the the rhyme or the reasoning behind what's open, what's closed. Um, like we were talking about before uh, here in Los Angeles, you can't go to a bar and you can't go to a restaurant. You can't even sit outside at a restaurant, but I could walk up the street to the Beverly Center, which is a fully enclosed shopping mall and go shopping. That blows my mind, bro. I, I, I understand that it's the holidays and I understand it's the fourth quarter and I understand, you know, but okay. <laughs> like what? It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Much like, you know, Bill de Blasio uh, out in New York, you know, left the bars and the restaurants open, but closed the school. But then due to public outrage is now next week reopening the schools for K through five, but reopening the schools now without any of the same regulations in place, like uh, smaller class sizes, kids only going for a certain hours of the day and whatnot. No, no, they're just reopening next Monday, full, full, full bore, you know, K through five students come on in all day, five days a week. Like what? I think we're going to see a spike in mortality amongst the teachers for sure. Okay. So here is what, and I th thank you so much for teeing this up because this is what is really upsetting me as a, as a, you know, I always, as a teacher, you know, I, I may not be teaching currently, but you never stop being a teacher. Right. Um, I am terrified at the numbers uh, that you're going to start seeing amongst the teachers and then you're going to start seeing more at this principal out in Rhode Island, I believe, saying that she's having a hard time keeping her school open because so many of her teachers are getting sick. Yep. And so, you know, they, she, she's had to do all sorts of things from having, you know, admin cover classrooms and this and that because the, the teachers are sick or if they're exposed to somebody that are sick, they can't come back to the classroom for 10 to 14 days. So it's, it's just, God, it makes my heart hurt that this is going 
no doubt this is going to get worse, way worse before it gets Well, just take New York City. So according to teachercertificationdegrees.com, in New York City itself, there's roughly 126,000 teachers. Yeah. You take the 4% mortality rate, and it's actually going to go higher because the infections are higher and hospitalizations. But just even at 4%, Luke, that's 5,040 teachers. Yeah. Yeah. That could, that could be dead over the next four yeah. weeks, six and, weeks. And my, you know, my, my heart bleeds for my, you know, I've got friends, you know, I, I did my, you know, I, when I was teaching, it was for the most part, I was in New York city. That's where, you know, for, for almost a decade. And I know so many people in education in New York city and so many people that, that want to do the right thing, especially those who teach in schools uh, in the, the lower economic uh, areas of the city, uh, because they know that those kids are not getting any thing at home. They're not getting support and they're not getting, you know, even if they have a Wi-Fi connection, they're not getting the kind of support they need to actually be learning anything. And, you know, they want the schools to be open, but they just want the schools to be open safe. And so um, I beg of you, if you have some extra money laying around, I know it's the holidays, but if you go to the website, donors choose, okay, donors choose, uh, there are a number of teachers on there just basically pleading for your not money, like for the, like telling you, like, here's a link to this thing on Amazon that I need or, you know, and it's all like it's the plexiglass uh, partitions and, you know, masks and hand sanitizer and all of the things that they they need for their classroom to keep themselves and their students safe and their district is not supplying it for them. It's uh, it's sad. And then, of course, on a very personal note, my sister is a middle school teacher in the Kansas City area and she sees she sees, you know, students every day. And even though, you know, they they live about 10, 15 minutes away from my folks, they didn't see each other on Thanksgiving because my my folks are both in the very high risk category. And um, my sister just would not expose them to what she is exposed to every day. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, yeah, you know, what's going on out there. And, um, you know, even she, I, I bought her a, you know, air filtration system for her classroom, you know, just cause there, there's certain things that, um, you know, the, the districts, even some of the more well-to-do districts are not supplying for their teachers. It, it just, it, it boggles the mind, you know, and we'll, we'll, Good Lord, I, I could talk for hours about how top heavy most districts, most uh, most sco uh, school systems are uh, from the superintendent to the district staff and how how grossly overpaid they are uh, and, and how many uh, administrators there are in comparison to what the actual need is um, and how these school districts, if the money was just allocated in a more intelligent way, we could be paying, doing everything from paying our, our teachers more to, in this case, making sure all of our classrooms are properly equipped to keep everybody safe. Now, Luke, I was just, uh, I was just checking out the donorschoose.org, and this mm -hmm. is a really cool way to contribute. I mean, there's teachers that are, 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 ba yeah, you know, wanting basic supplies, 
You know, they've got 30 students. They initially needed $265. Now they, they only need $61 and you can simply donate what you can afford to help them out. Yep. And it's schools across the country. It's just not one certain area. So very cool. Yeah. 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 It's a great, it's a great site. And I really encourage everyone, if you do do uh, charitable giving around the holidays, uh, it's a great one. It's a great one. So, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, other than seeing for whatever reason, Donald Trump sitting at a ridiculously tiny desk, I, I don't really even want to get into him uh, no. other, because I want to, I want to jump into some of the awesome stuff that's happening uh, with the Biden transition, but I, I cannot let it go without uh, pointing out because this is some uh, happy news is that the thank you uh, to the Trump campaign for the $3 million they spent uh, <laughs> on the Wisconsin recount to only widen Joe Biden's win, uh, margin of victory. So thank you for that Trump campaign. Absolutely. We, I really, really appreciate it. But uh, how about these Biden picks? We've got some really cool stuff going on here. Well, where do you want to start? Do we want to talk uh, talk about communications or do you want to talk with uh, Secretary of the Treasury? I mean, I think it's all got one common through line. And right. That brings me back to, uh, to good old RBG and the nine females that <laughs> she'd like to see on the Supreme Court. Yeah, Biden, as you've all certainly heard, if you pay attention at all to uh, any of this uh, politics stuff, uh, Biden has named the first ever all-female communications uh, team across the board. That means his communications team and Kamala Harris's communications team uh, will all be female, and they are all extraordinarily talented, experienced women who will have their number one, their number one, they've already said their number one um, goal, their number one priority as a team is honest transparency with the American people. Amen, oh, brother. Oh, how refreshing is that? How amazing Just does that Just saying sound? it feels so good. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of relationships great. that need to be mended with, with, you know, the various communications outlets from, yes, you know, absolutely. And, you know, we've been lied to for so long. We've been overlooked, you know, the, you know, the uh, topics and, you know, the headlines that, that really matter. Uh, we've been, you know, given falsehoods, conspiracy theories, and, you know, now coming in, you know, these, these, these powerful and, and extremely, experienced women i think will be able to mend those fences yeah uh quicker than than anticipated obviously it will you know decide you know that will de be depicted depending on how transparent people are um mm -hmm. you know but with the team and obviously these people you know even biden's campaign manager that's you know she was completely transparent from from start to finish. And so that gives you just, you know, a snippet of what we expect from this communications team, not just domestically either. I mean, internationally as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we we got our first little dose of honesty and transparency, as as you might have heard, Joe had had a little mishap playing with uh, his his dog over the Major. Thanksgiving holiday. Major, right? 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think broke his pinky toe, maybe something like that. And so he got he had to go to the hospital. And uh, we got just a straightforward, honest explanation. No bullshit. Oh, this was a planned, you know, you know, visit, blah, blah, blah. Nope. Nope. He was just playing just like Americans do playing with his dog and got hurt. And that's that. How refresh? I mean, I know that sounds so mundane, but I, I think that's why it's so lovely <laughs> because it's just <laughs> the honest to God truth. He's like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I got my, my dog tripped me and I got hurt, you know? Yeah. No, no, I'm too macho. I have the toughest. I have the, I have the strongest toes of any American alive, you know? None of that BS. <laughs> and I yeah, also Amber wanna... explained to me exactly where it was, but, and, you know, a shout out to all the x ray techs across the, you know, the United States. I mean, you guys mm-hmm. are very, very knowledgeable. I don't even remember what it was called anymore. So I apologize. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some random tiny foot bone. That's it. Yeah. And so he'll be in a walking boot for the next few weeks. And God, if you've ever worn one of those, you know how much they suck. So I feel for him <laughs> greatly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's it. That's it. Honest. And I also wanted, before we move on uh, to the outstanding treasury pick, I do want to give a shout out to Simone Sanders who is going to be uh, the spokeswoman for uh, Kamala Harris. Um, she worked on the Biden campaign, but she is notable because she originally worked on the um, Bernie Sanders campaign and worked uh, uh, with him back in 2016. So it shows that you know Joe is bringing in people from all sides of the party and um, you know is going to, again, be you know, build a team that is representative of America. Many of these women are also women of color. Um, And, you know, he's really putting together a coalition that looks and sounds like America. And if you're like, well, they're all women, where are the men? Well, he's got plenty of white men in there too. Don't worry about that. But remember, there are more women in America than there are men. So always remember that. And so then that brings us to his finally official... We, we've talked about her, but uh, Janet Yellen named to be, or nominated to be Secretary of the Treasury. Yes. <clears throat> uh, most recently, she served as the Chair of the Federal Reserve uh, from yep. 14 to 18, yep. and Vice Chair uh, from 2010 to 2014. She is uh, an economist at the Brookings Institute, a professor, University of California, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Her her resume is 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 gold with experience, and now uh, with Biden and as president elect, committing to getting women, um, you know, in the right positions, and diversity obviously has been key uh, with his his vice president pick to start and his cabinet is extremely diverse mm-hmm. it, you know with with the 2016 election you know we kept hearing you know breaking the ceiling breaking that glass ceiling and you know this is just getting you know women closer to i think will ultimately could happen in the next you know two elections is the first female president of the United States. I, I would, God, I hope so. I, I really do. <laughs> um, I, uh, 
made no secret of the fact that I was a huge and still am, um, but a, a huge Elizabeth Warren fan. Mm-hmm. I think she is just smart as can be. And as much as I would have loved to have seen her potentially at the treasury, uh, I think she, you know, as continuing to be a strong leader and a strong voice in the Senate is going to be incredibly important. And she might end up being tapped for something else. We'll see. But uh, I I love Elizabeth Warren. And if she was to run again, um, I I certainly would support that, as I would any of the women who ran in this past cycle. Obviously, uh, being uh, from California, I, I I know more about uh, Kamala than I do about the rest of them. Uh, and she's been a fantastic senator for us. And everybody knows how excellent she is uh, when it comes to questioning witnesses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Amy Klobuchar. Can't, you know, you can't yes. go wrong with a Midwestern woman. Um, you know, it's just, there, there's a really, and we saw during the vice presidential vetting, there's a deep bench of very strong, uh, female leadership in the democratic party. And I look forward uh, to seeing what future presidential, uh, years look like for us. Yeah. And I'll be totally transparent, Luke. I mean, Joe Biden, honest, you know, honestly was not my first pick on the democratic nope. side. Nope. Yep. My, my person was Amy Klobuchar. Okay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren was up there as well. The, the, you know, the problem I had with the Warrens and the Sanders, mm-hmm. you know, specifically Bern, you know, Bernie Sanders was their, their plan for making the rich pay their fair share. Right. Well, right, what does that right. equate to? What does that look like? Right. Um, you know, currently businesses can offshore money and they want to close that the the loopholes. Well, right. it takes it takes Congress to do that. Right. And you know, honestly, if that was going to be done, if that was a priority, it should have been done years ago. So, right. you know, really that was the only, you know, I I love Elizabeth Warren. She's a go-getter. She's going to be a force to reckon with, with all the social media companies for, for uh, article. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. And, you know, but at the end of the day, if, if they could have really detailed out their plan for, you know, making the wealthy pay their fair share, which is going to pay for free education and pay for this. I mean, she would have been right up there as well. Yeah. 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 I, I've had many a conversation with, uh, colleagues who had the the same right, the same concerns and questions about this wealth tax and work and how, you know, like how they were going to get it done, and it just never seemed to get a very clear answer. So, right. um, before we we move on to the next topic, I do just want to bring quick, uh, just quick quick bites here to, you know, Trump regardless of his just batshit accusations about voter fraud and all of this stuff, and now even trying to assert that the FBI and the DOJ may have even been in on the fix. I mean, I just, I I think talking less about Trump is better at this point, but uh, there are some important things to mention. Um, Obviously one of Joe Biden's 
first priorities is going to be repairing relationships both at home and abroad. Uh, repairing relationships abroad uh, means trying to bring Iran back under uh, some sort of control. And with the assassination of their uh, top uh, nuclear scientist, now um, pretty much the you know the Times is reporting that it was definitely uh, Israel that was behind the plot, and Bibi Netanyahu does not do something like this without the blessing of the United States. So that puts us in a precarious position for potentially getting back into the nuclear deal with them and getting them to stop inching towards a nuclear weapon. So we'll have to see how that uh, plays out. Yep. And then also repairing the executive branch's relationship with our, uh, our, our, our long civil servants. Okay. So if you are a civil servant and you work in the, Office of uh, Budget Management, OMB, our management and budget, um, or if you work for any number of these uh, foreign services organizations, uh, the IRS, uh, you know, any, any, if you work in the bureaucracy, if you're a cog in the wheel of the United States government, you are protected by an act of Congress that says that essentially you cannot fired without cause like you are not a political person you you serve yes you serve at the pleasure of the president but also are because you work for you know most of these people have worked for decades have worked under various many different presidents and whatnot well good old donald trump he loves himself an executive order we'll talk about executive orders their dangers their benefits in a future pod but he just yesterday uh, i believe it was yesterday uh, signed an executive order uh let's see here it is in from vanity fair because that's an excellent no they actually have the hot the hive <laughs> political <laughs> the vanity fair hot uh, um, uh, newsletter or whatnot but executive order allowing him to purge thousands of federal workers for loyalty and so basically um they are rescheduling the workforce uh for you know the governmental workforce as you know they're they're through executive order removing that congressional protection and a to just wholesale fire entire swaths of the government which Obviously, as soon as Joe Biden is in, he with the stroke of a pen can bring all those people right back. But it just goes to show you, you know, during a, a regular transition, the outgoing administration works pretty much in lockstep with the incoming uh, administration to ensure continuity of government because that's what is best for the country. Right. And that just goes to show you he doesn't care. I mean, that's people's, you know, livelihood, uh, income right before the holidays. And it's just, it's a personal vendetta, um, you yep. know, to get back at, you know, any, anybody and everybody for losing this election by over 6 million votes. Yeah. Yep. Again, cannot. Biden won by over 6 million votes, people. It wasn't yep. even close. Yeah. So real quick, because we mentioned her at the top, 
Uh, the appointee we were talking about, her na name is Nira Tandon, uh, <laughs> and she was uh, is nominated to lead the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, but uh, a bunch of Republican senators don't like her because she's mean on Twitter. Yep. yep. <laughs> I could so, not believe that mm. was the reason they were all stating was, well, have you seen her Twitter feed the last months or years mm. after Trump ranting and just scathing tweets for the last four years, retweeting white nationalists and mm -hmm. firing people on Twitter, just really unfiltered, brutal shit. And now the GOP that never seemed to talk about Trump's tweets or never read them, never had time to read them. Now, all of a sudden, they've had time to read her her Twitter feed. Yeah, I know. And so uh, John Cornyn, oh God, yes. chief piece of shit from Texas. Yes. Uh, you know, Neera Tandon has an endless stream of disparaging comments about the Republican senators whose votes she'll need. She stands zero chance of being confirmed. Get the fuck out of here, man. Right. Like, give <laughs> me a break. These people, their hypocrisy knows no ends. And it just is, it's good God. I just, their, their reckoning has to, has to be coming sooner than later. And Luke, I'm making uh, an early prediction. We got another cycle or two, but eventually Texas will be blue. I think so too. I think we're gonna we we almost got there with yes. with with uh, with Beto did really great against uh, the I believe <laughs> Ted Cruz, who is known as the most disliked uh, member of Congress. Right. <laughs> not even his colleagues like him. And it's not because um, he's got, a, he, you know, he's got a Harvard education. So it's not, yeah. you know, it, I don't know yeah. what it is, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, I, I think we're close. We're close to turning uh, Texas blue. Uh, you know, a lot of, I know personally uh, three people who have moved from uh, California to Texas uh, in the past five years. So as that, uh, you know, a as more uh, folks go from more liberal places into Texas and move to Texas, that will help. And then also we have the emergence of the suburban, uh, suburban voter who is now starting to align more with the Democrats than the Republicans. So, yes. you know, I, I had an interesting question come up the other day and I don't think that we're there yet. And I don't know if we will, but as many of you, if any of you are, are, are versed on um, political history, and I was a political science major, so I'm a total junkie when it comes to this stuff, um, you do know the Democrats basically used to be the Republicans, and the Republicans used to be the Democrats. Right. And it was only because of the civil rights movement that really switched that. And, you know, the South was blue for a very long time. Uh, and then that all changed uh, after the civil rights movement. Uh, remember, it was the actual uh, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican and it was the Republicans who were anti-slavery back during the Civil War days. And so what has been the case always has been that the Republicans were the fiscally conservative, uh, you know, you know, party. 
And as the Republicans just continue to throw money after money after what has been proven to be a failed trickle-down economics, but they do it in the guise of supporting the working man, which always the working man and woman used, used to be the core of the Democratic Party. Like, mm -hmm. could we potentially see a little bit of realignment of views of the party? I, you know, it's a thought experiment, something to, to chew on, but I just kind of wanted to toss that out there. Yeah, I think, you know, as a Democratic Party, we're going to have a reckoning going forward with the center and the far left, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, uh, whoever runs, you know, the DNC and, you know, from, from their leadership perspective, they're going to have to get everybody on the same page, the same message, um, you know, AOC's message is different from, you know, a different Democratic senator that's that's more center or moderate. And, you know, we can't have two parties within a party. That's right. not going to win right. us reelections. That's not going to get us the Senate. That's right. not going to get us back. You know, the House seats we just lost. And I feel we lost House, you know, House seats here. Yeah, in November because our messaging was really fucked up. Yeah, no, and and we'll definitely have to talk about this reckoning. Um, you know, there's the the AOC Connor Lamb back and forth that's been going on, and and um, you know, yeah, and, and AOC herself has said in any other country in the in the world, her and Joe Biden would not be in the same political party. So there's right. definitely, you know, something, something to brewing for the yeah. Democrats that we've got to Absolutely. figure out if we want any chance of getting the Senate back. So yep. um, I, you know, I know we're, we're, we're closing down here on time, but I do want to just bring a couple of things uh, go very, very low before I come back and go very, very high. There you All go. Right. Let's do it. Um, you know, this bad business. Okay. Bad, bad business. Okay. Um, and we can get into uh, Trump and his fuckery with the census on another on another episode. But I right. got to talk about this bad business because one of the stories is a little older. Uh, the other one is just breaking. But uh, using a uh, this article is not from the Times, Bobby. It's <laughs> the Iowa <laughs> Capitol Dispatch. All right. Lawsuit. Tyson managers bet money on how many workers would contract COVID-19. What in the hell Jesus. were they thinking? I mean, well, with the executive order to remain open, right? With, mm -hmm. without yep. requiring, right? They were, you know, these meat plants in Nebraska and Iowa and throughout the Midwest, South Dakota, North Dakota, they weren't required to, to even test their right. employees. Right. And, and so that whole executive order was just a shit show to get these guys on his, you know, kind of earn some political capital with this industry. And at the end of the day, these meatpacking plants basically throughout the summer were, were, were the reason why we saw so many infections in, in so many states. Correct. And obviously Correct. it's, it's spread since then and it's gone you know, coast to coast now, but you know, these meatpacking plants were making up the vast majority of our new cases throughout the summer. Yeah. 
And then here we got their, you know, their bosses, you know, wagering money on if, you know, they're going to get COVID or not. Are are they going to get hospitalized? Are they going to fucking die? Right. Yep. They, and being, like you said, being deemed essential workers and therefore required to report for work. Um, even as far as, you know, if they were showing mild symptoms, still being required to come in to work, um, you know, there's so much back and forth with God. Yes, we need a relief package desperately. People are really suffering and, you know, we're all of the relief, all of the relief programs are expiring on the 31st of December and like her or dislike her, whatever AOC put it very clearly. The real reason why Mitch McConnell is holding this whole thing up is because he is insistent that there be a provision included that companies like Tyson be immune from prosecution, be immune from exactly these kind of lawsuits, wrongful death lawsuits, if one of their employees dies on their watch. Right. That, right. that is what is holding this up. That is why Nancy Pelosi is saying not no, but hell no. You know, these companies have to be held accountable if they're not putting uh, the correct measures in place. So right. just just chew on that the next time you think to yourself, well, old Nancy could just take a little bit and move on. No, not a little bit if it means companies like Tyson and other multi-billion dollar companies getting completely left off the hook for leaving their workers essentially to fend for themselves and possibly die. Right. And, so, and then they do pharma. Yeah. And so then that said, this article just breaking yesterday that uh, documents released last week in federal bankruptcy court show that uh, notorious uh, advisor McKinsey and company. Okay. It's a very uh, prestigious consulting firm. All right. They were advising the Sackler family, you know, Purdue uh, Pharma's billionaire owners, on ways to turbocharge Oxycontin sales. And I'm going to read this word for word from the Times article uh, from which it came so I get this right, okay? In a 2017 presentation, according to the, uh, according to the records, which were filed in court, da, 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 McKinsey laid out several options to shore up sales of, we're talking about Oxycontin. One was to give Purdue's distributors a rebate for every Oxycontin overdose attributable to the pills they sold. Holy the present- shit. The presentation estimated how many customers of companies such as, oh, you might know this one, CVS or mm-hmm. Anthem, okay, might overdose. It projected that in 2019, for example, 2,484 CVS customers would either have an overdose or develop an opioid use disorder, i.e. become hooked on opioids. A a rebate of $14,810 per event meant that Purdue would pay CVS the whopping amount of $36.8 million for people dying or getting addicted to opioids. I'm baffled. I am baffled. It it makes your skin crawl. I mean, this is, this is corporate, not even corporate irresponsibility. This is corporate homicide. I I mean, I don't know what else to call this. 
Right. These people yeah, they knew, knew it was addictive. They knew people were dying. And instead of tweaking the dose, instead yeah. of maybe just taking it off the market altogether, it was making too much money. And hey, keep it quiet. We're going to pay you. We're going to pay you. We're going to pay exactly. you big. Yep. Yep. And they did. And they did. And these companies that these companies that are now going to be tasked with distributing the coronavirus uh, vaccine have now been shown in open court to be complicit in this scheme. Right. I, I mean, it's it's I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, I, I, I'll be completely transparent. CVS is my pharmacy. That's, that's where I, I go. And uh, it really gives me a moment of pause. You know, Anthem is one of the biggest insurers in the world yep. uh, or in the country rather. And that, I mean, my God, what are we, what are we doing people? What are we doing? If you, you know, look it up. McKinsey proposed paying pharmacy companies rebates for Oxycontin overdoses is the name of the article. Uh, it was in yesterday's business section of the Times. Uh, check into it uh, if you don't, uh, you know, if you want more details. And then uh, the uh, Tyson managers uh, from Iowa Capital Dispatch, uh, November 18th lawsuit, Tyson managers bet money. So those are the two, uh, the two um, sources there. So and Bobby, let's you're, just uh, assume, Luke, that Purdue yeah. Pharma is just going to go away, right? Oh, God, no. No. They're going to reorganize, they'll fire, you know, file new paperwork for, and instead of Oxycontin, it'll be called something else. And the, yep. the process. Oh, they'll do it all over again. Remember, folks, bankruptcy doesn't mean that a company goes away. Right. It's just a way for them to give themselves a financial shelter. Uh, you know, it's how Trump got away with, you know, not you know, paying, you know, millions and millions of dollars to vendors, because if a company goes bankrupt, you can no longer collect on your debts. So, you know, and I can't wait till we get his taxes. You know, we know he's not a billionaire, not even close. He's got almost yep. 500 million uh, owed as we speak. So January 21st, he's got a lot of money that's owed to a lot of lenders and there's no way of of filing bankruptcy out of the way some of that stuff was structured and you know just knowing that he was never a billionaire not even close just no. makes me feel all warm inside oh doesn't it though and on a warm note let's talk about some happy stuff do you, yes. bobby do you do you like michael jordan are you an mj fan mj is number one in my book did did you enjoy the last dance did, I did. Was that a, I, I did as well. I, I enjoyed it greatly. My 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 partner Josh, who is not a sports fan whatsoever, uh, uh, loved it. It was just a, it was just a great program. Well, guess what? Good old MJ did. What did MJ he do? took? MJ took two million dollars of his earnings that he got from uh, the last dance, and he gave that two million dollars to uh, food banks across the Carolinas in Chicago. Very so, cool. Very, very, very cool there. Uh, also, I'm excited for this one. You know, I never thought I would be a cat owner, uh, let alone a cat lover, but <laughs> Josh and I found a little abandoned kitten on literally on the streets of New York City. And uh, we brought it home and nursed him back to health. And he's here with us all these years later. Very and cool. he's uh, out the, he's, he's like, he's Garfield, but gray. He's, 
He's about 18 pounds. He's a big boy. So we uh, maybe overnursed him back to health. But I'm excited to hear our incoming first lady, Jill Biden, saying that the Bidens will adopt a cat to bring with them to the White House. Yes. That will be the first cat resident of the White House after or since socks. Any of you remember Socks back in the Clinton administration? Socks was a, a cat in the White House. So after four years of no animals in the White House, we'll have two German shepherds, a cat, and two out of three of those animals will be rescues. So that's Very awfully cool. cool. Very cool. Speaking about, uh, speaking about uh, celebrities doing good uh, in terms of animals, well, there was this elephant, this elephant that's known as the world's loneliest elephant. Once upon a time, he was gifted to Pakistan by Sri Lanka, and he lived a nice life uh, with his companion elephant until about 2002. And ever since, he's been all by himself. Um, and, you know, and elephants are um, <coughs> pack animals. They're not meant to live in isolation. Uh, and so he's been all by himself and uh, in developing lots of physical and psychological problems. Well, wouldn't you know it, Cher found out about the situation and is bankrolling the whole operation to move this elephant uh, about a thousand miles to an elephant sanctuary where he can live out the rest of his years with all of his elephant buddies. Very so. cool. I have not, <laughs> I did not hear that story. Yeah. Yeah. This one's from, uh, it actually was in WAPO and Washington post. Uh, if you don't have a Washington post, uh, subscription, um, I, I would highly recommend you look into it, but you can also get it on, uh, the, the one kind of story that I get from, uh, USA today are these kind of feel good stories. So <laughs> usatoday.com has the story share proves there is life after love rescues world's loneliest elephant <laughs> and apparently there's going to be a documentary coming out about it so there nice. there you go a little a little fuzzy you know lots of fuzzy to end on in this otherwise uh you know not so fuzzy episode so it's good yeah. stuff good stuff yeah the good that we've done is we actually we've adopted some families for the holidays with oh fantastic uh, locally right so we've helped some families out with gifts and you know various contributions to to their families and it was simply a, a post on facebook that my wife did and before you know it i mean there was people discussing different families and different organizations and so i really you know if you can afford to obviously not everybody can but if you can afford to uh, is you know easy as you know a few facebook posts you're going to find families that are in you know, dire need. And, and that's what we decided to do for, for these holidays. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Josh and yes, I, and it feels really, it. really good. Josh and I will be Especially doing adopt the families. Yep. As we always do come this time of year. And um, also, uh, you know, check out that donorschoose.org. Uh, I also would be remiss to not mention that one of my best friends dating all the way back to my days in Kansas City. Carlos Abisab has pu published Carlos's colorific and totally tacky coloring book, an activity book for adults who like to act like children. Very nice. Uh, it is available on Amazon. I'll post the, the link uh, on our Facebook page. But the really cool 
thing about this book is that a large portion of the proceeds goes towards uh, different uh, AIDS research organizations. Uh, AIDS, you know, speaking of pandemic, is still uh, out there, still alive and well, unfortunately. And uh, he's donating pretty much uh, the majority of the proceeds to the sell of the sale of this book to. Uh, different uh, research organizations, uh, especially those that focus on pediatric uh, HIV and AIDS. So uh, check that out as Very well. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. You got it. Well, we want to thank our sponsor, the Stutzman Group. Indeed. I want to thank you. This thank was you. an awesome episode seven. Again, we are being currently streamed and downloaded ac across six continents as we speak. Be sure to check out bobbyandluke.com mm -hmm. and um, subscribe and follow us on, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Absolutely. Bobby, thank you. And you have a wonderful couple of days and we'll catch up with you uh, in a few. Absolutely. Episode eight coming up uh, this weekend. You got Thanks, it. Man. Thanks, Bobby. Take care, everybody. Stay safe.